Welcome to the Relationship as Medicine podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Lee, outdoor adventure enthusiast, dog mom to Luna, world traveler, longtime meditator, espresso lover, and a trained somatic psychotherapist, trauma specialist, and certified coach. Talking about trauma doesn't have to be so daunting. From a connected place, we can navigate anything together. Looking forward to exploring with you today. Here we go. We are here today with my very good friend, Justin Salomon. We have known each other for 23 years or more. 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 27. 27 years. 28. 28 years. No, no. What does it turn out to be? I was 25. 20. Yeah. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) A really long time. So many different layers of life have happened since we've known each other. Layers of relationship. It is so cool to both both be healing practitioners and have shared a meditation path and an outdoor adventure path, both raft guides and so many other things. And I wanted to invite you on here, Justin, today to hopefully share a little piece of our conversation that we're always in conversation around, around nervous system regulation, how we really be in the highest of support as practitioners, how we meet trauma, how we resource in the outdoors, how we laugh, how we just make fun of all sorts of things in in this field. I don't know, but I thought it'd be fun. So let's just see how it goes. Let's see what happens here. (laughs) Um, Justin has many hats and is in Flagstaff, Arizona. Justin, I'll let you introduce yourself as in depth or not as you like. Thanks for having me here, Shelby. And I'm really excited to be here. I'm Justin Salomon, and I'm here in Flagstaff, Arizona. It's getting ready to snow outside. And I'm just um, noticing in myself, because this is my first podcast, this level of activation. Um, And so, you know, I orient to the natural world and I orient um, inward. And um, that's what shows up for me here. So thanks for being here. my uh, coach as in this podcast as well. But um, my background, uh, we're here in my rolfing office as well. And my background is both as a rolfer since 2002 in somatic practice and um, receiving that work and, and going through my own journey um, starting around 99 and, um, And I'm the operations manager at Canyon Explorations, where we offer 15 to 16 day expeditions through Grand Canyon that are transformative and educational and achieve some of the same goals, um, interestingly, that we achieve in our offices um, of embodiment and empowerment um, and connection with the present moment. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also are, we're both practitioners in the transforming experienced brain modality or transforming presence. There's so many names for it, transforming touch. So I'm excited to talk about that as well today. Me too. Yeah. For folks that don't know what Rolfing is, would you Mm -hmm. share a bit about it? Yes, I'm happy to share about Rolfing. Um, that's the the um, elevator pitch is a difficult one for me with Rolfing um, because people either either know about it and think that it's very deep, intense massage, um, which is not true. Um, they also associate it with pain, which is not true. Um, there, what Rolfing is, is an approach towards, um, living with and in your body. Um, it's about embodiment. It's about how we show up in the world. Um, Rolfing is generally done with hands-on touch, but it's also about our perception of our bodies, our proprioception, how we know where we are in space our interoception, how we know what's going on within us. Um, and it's an exploration and an educational journey with a practitioner, generally done over 10 sessions, where we explore and get a guided tour of our own body and our own sensations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that you mentioned like that it, a lot of people think that it's supposed to be painful And that actually when it's done in a skilled way, it's not, and it can open to that deep inner and outer exploration. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A lot of people push themselves through pain in the name of healing, thinking that that's the only way, right? Yeah. I think we've talked about that catharsis model of therapy and then becoming addicted to that um, cycle of catharsis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Rolfing is one of those. I think that, um, early on people mistook, um, a level of pressure or a level of intense experience for transformation when really it was just, um, really kind of an endorphin experience that produced kind of big results in the moment. And then you're right back to square one where you were. But I will say that we can venture into an intense place, especially with another practitioner in a very regulated way and come out the other side transformed. Mm, say more about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we all have different perceptions of what intensity is and For a lot of people dealing with physical intensity that come into rolfing is um, that they might uh, perceive as pain because they've been primed to come to rolfing thinking it's going to be painful. They're ready for that experience. Being guided into a place that's more about sensation, that's more about subtlety, that's more about a wide palette of experience can be more intense than the painful stimulus, um, the, the painful experience. And 
like transforming touch, like the work that we both are practicing now, um, the subtlety of just holding somebody's head for a half hour can be way more intense than getting an intense massage. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I do. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) thinking about this, you know, not just in terms of rolfing, but trauma healing in general and the field of how it used to be no pain, no gain. You must feel discomfort in order to heal and transform. And I have just been loving both as a practitioner and as a client that we less is more that when we can actually learn to tolerate the full spectrum, that means the more subtle sensations. That means being able to be okay with not being in that intensity junkie mode all the time to have things feel a little boring and to experience that titration, I guess, where it's just a little bit more so that we don't just have two modes, like on and off, intense or not. In the healing, we can do so much by going slowly, doing less, and just getting the information from what happens there. Mm. Yes. It's been very profound for me to hear the the um, phrase, we heal and underwhelm. Um, and just what it means to actually be in underwhelm and what it takes in a life that tends to be so busy and so full, whether it's job and children and relationships and, and world events, to actually bring yourself into underwhelm is, is a pretty big challenge. Yeah. I know for a lot of us or folks that have experienced complex trauma, that space where not much is happening would be that place where all of the feelings would arise. Like when is the other shoe going to drop? What happens in this in-between place? I have to stay on guard. And so learning that it can be safe enough to rest and to support in these places is revolutionary. Mm -hmm. Absolutely revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. Life-changing. Totally. And that means that our work can be kind of boring sometimes. <laughs> We're not doing the big breathwork cathartic experiences where people are just moving a ton of energy and getting those endorphins and feeling amazing from that. But there's a whole nother level of like pleasant sensation and ease and peace mm. that can come from being willing to be with the slower, more subtle experiences. Mm-hmm. Makes me actually think about the river. <laughs> mm. And what it's like out there, I'm guessing on like a 28, 20 some day trip where there's a whole variety of experiences that you're learning from everything from intense to not right. Yes. I'm so glad to be able to talk about this in a, in a fluid way with you, because often we wind up in our containers, you know, we're talking about trauma work over here and we're talking about outdoor experience over here. And yes, the slowing down to natural rhythms, we evolved with nature. Regulation is all around us all the time. Going the pace of nature is regulation. Um, 
in, in my opinion. Um, and when we work with a practitioner, that's nature as well, because we're working with another organism. We're working with somebody else that have evolved at this pace and we can resonate with each other. We can regulate with each other. Um, rivers are just incredible because water moving water just has healing properties of its own. You know, um, I always forget whether it's positive or negative ions, but they're very helpful. <laughs> um, I have no idea. But you know, you think of the sound of a river, the, uh, the being mesmerized by flowing water. Um, it's like watching fire, um, but it's water. <laughs> um, and the experience that we provide on river trips where people are in a group where they actually get to be there um, held in a container where a lot of the risk is being mitigated, but there's a lot of perception of risk. And this is for people that are ready for this kind of experience. I mean, we've got to say that that's not the right thing um, for, for some, some folks. And, um, and it can be very, very activating but it has a natural crescendo and a natural easing. And it, I believe that it helps people's nervous systems get used to the stresses, used to more natural stress, used to experiencing those stress hormones, and then a natural decline where they're in the elements, where their feet are in the sand, where they're touching the water, and they're able to regulate off something real and and also they have in on our trips anyway we have six guides who are used to being this in this environment that can show the way towards regulation in these environments yeah and i imagine most of them are mostly off of their devices too while they're connecting with nature with their feet in the sand we are a well a technology free uh, environment. Although everybody's camera is an iPhone now, um, we ask people not to share pictures. We ask them to bring real books if they want to read a book. Um, if they have to bring an e-reader, they can. But we talk about the benefits of getting used to the day and night cycle. And how after a week, our melatonin and serotonin really um, regulate off of day and night if we can just get off these silly devices. Yeah. Yeah. Nature as regulator. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I take that one week off at the end of every month and spend as much time as possible with my feet on the ground, whether it's snowboarding, hiking, walking, running, eh, sort of running. <laughs> and <clears throat> those are the weeks where I'm like, I get it again. You know, I get reminded. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's actually this easy to just get my feet on the ground to walk for a few miles. I feel so much more connected inward and outward than when I'm thinking I'm being productive and doing a thousand things and like I'm going to all my healing sessions. Sometimes it can just take an hour out in that rhythm. 
to bring me into that regulation. Mm -hmm. You know, you're probably one of the first and main influences in my life around showing me that way, the way of fully being immersed in nature. Mm -hmm. We spent 28 days or something like that. Something like that. In the Arizona desert for the, for my college orientation, you were our guide. And I think there were about 12 of us. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. No water for days. (laughs) Drinking out of water trough, cow water troughs. (laughs) It was, it was incredible. One of the best experiences of my life. Mm. And you and our other um, leader, Nick, you both were just the perfect example of like how to be 100% fully in trust with nature and um, playful and you felt grounded. I don't know if you actually were. (laughs) It it really woke me up to, wow, this is my life. This is what I have chosen. And this is a place for me that feels safe, where I feel a sense of belonging. I can feel like myself. And that was unlike anything I've really ever experienced before. Mm. That's so wonderful. It's fun to hear you talk about it and have memories from that experience. I think it was 1998. So however long ago that was, however many years. And it's very vivid still. You know, we, we walked through calf pen Canyon into fossil Creek. Mm -hmm. We had an evacuation with Rachel, who I think she hurt her ankle. Um, We had some very intense weather in canyons um, because it's monsoon season. We walked up the Verde River. We got driven around when we weren't expecting to. And then we walked through, I think, the Matazal Mountains, right? And we did... I don't remember Matazal. Maybe. No, I think we did. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There were these caterpillars that um, like stung us as we walked through places. And we did solo out there and somebody fell out of a tree. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Three days solo. I remember I was, I think I was 16 years old. Like that's incredible. Sitting in the middle of what felt like nowhere you all were probably 20 feet away from me but i felt like i was just gonna get eaten by a rattlesnake or a tarantula or a bear at any moment and and it was 100 percent memorable and very Mm. regulating Mm. that's so good to hear because uh, you know i kind of worry about some of those programs they we do a lot of preparation in those solos but I think it can also be an isolating experience and uh, not, not for everybody. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I think yeah. the orienting and the setup and the knowing that y'all were going to check every day on us and that there was water for us and you were pretty close and our, everyone else was close. I could actually hear someone nearby. So that felt mm. not so isolating. That helps. That's so cool to hear. However many years later. I know. You re- you led those orientations for a long time, right? I did, yeah. And I um, w- uh, became a course director there. So I was supporting other people. And that's really where I learned about support in the backcountry setting and supporting instructors and 
um, showing up for for people from the outside so that they can provide amazing experiences. And, um, that program was really uh, pivotal in my outdoor career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mine too. Prescott College, if y'all haven't heard of it. Oh, that's right. Prescott College. Yes. Yes. Prescott, not Prescott. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And wilderness orientation is something that's been going on there since the sixties and continues. They, they've kind of branched out to make it more accessible so that um, people with disabilities um, can access uh, a, a similar experience um, of orientation, but what an amazing way to provide a transition into the college setting, a three week back, uh, really a four week experience, but a three week backpack trip. Yeah. I mean, it's so bonding that we stay in each other's lives for a long time. <laughs> it's so cool. Yes. Yeah. Hi, friends. It's Shelby pausing this podcast episode for a moment to share with you about a product that I have been loving for the last six months. And if you've been anywhere on the internet, you'll probably see a lot of people love it too. It's called Element. L-M-N-T, and it is an electrolyte drink that honestly helps me be so much more present and fluid and available throughout my day and in my work. I started drinking it because a friend of mine told me it helped them kick coffee, so I was curious because I like to have choice around coffee, and I was surprised. It actually really did help me reduce my coffee intake and have more sustained energy. And I love their creative flavors. Every time I go to order a box, it's actually fun. Their marketing is fun. Their customer service is out of this world. They are so kind and playful, especially with their emojis. Health and well-being are so key to being able to show up for ourselves and those we work with. And I really appreciate the simplicity of this product. Obviously, not every product is healthy for every body, but if you feel called to it for you, you might experiment with it and see if it enlivens you, if you feel supported by it. I sure do. I'll drop the link in the show notes. Check it out and let me know what you think. Well, After that, I became a raft guide as well. And I find that my experience as a raft guide or a climbing guide really parallels actually uh, supporting folks with trauma, whether I'm coaching, Mm -hmm. doing therapy, it looks really similar. (laughs) Like when you were talking about navigating risk or perceived risk for rafting clients and how uh, like you have this team of six folks and you set them up well, you orient them. There's a container, there's a pathway. It sounded exactly like how I feel about guiding folks, whether in group programs or in trauma healing, there has to be that sense of like, we know the territory. We have a container we're building with folks. We know how to mitigate some of the safety stuff so that people can really drop into that experience of presence and meet whatever inner or outer weather arises, feeling connected, feeling held, feeling like 
we've got this if they get lost in there somehow, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's very interesting. Um, you know, I keyed in a little bit on the the instructors, the guides, and all of the experiences they're having. Um, they can be held up and are often in a role where they're guiding people who are very powerful in their lives. You know, these are CEOs or owners of companies or high-level government officials or just about anything. And the guide is often the one with the expertise in this environment. So there's a, an enormous amount of trust and an enormous amount of pressure and a lot of experiences. And so what we're seeing more and more in what in the guiding world is being called a stress injury, which is just another word for trauma. And what um, we're, we're really trying to explore how we help guides and other first responders um, work with um, their, their trauma and how that affects them and how the stress can increase through a season of experiences and even to recognize that they might have what this field is calling stress injury or trauma. Yes. Yeah. I mean, being part of the outdoor industry for the last couple few decades, hearing that there are companies actually showing up for their staff in this way, you were the first one to really start talking about that, having DEI trainings, trauma awareness trainings, all sorts of things that feel so supportive in my view that I hadn't experienced. So I'm really happy to hear about that. Me too. Um, and we're, it's all in its infancy really. Um, because it's still can be a stoic field and there's, there's a part that requires grit from guides. And I don't think that has to be separate from being sensitive, but you have to be able to row into 50 mile an hour winds and get off the boat and take care of people and cook dinner and deal with the rainstorm <laughs> and then get back and do it the next day and the next day and the next day. And that is a lot on our systems. It's a lot of load. Um, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and we wind up centrally fatigued from that. Mm -hmm. Our nervous system gets overwhelmed no matter how good we are at these things. Right. I think from the outside, a lot of people would just think it's a dream job. <laughs> <laughs> which it is in a lot of ways, but there's a lot happening. You have to have some resilience. And I love the word grit. Mm -hmm. And I love the word resilience because that's, that's what's behind grit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you kind of alluded maybe you, maybe not even on purpose or you didn't mean this to what I would call sharing power or power dynamics that come up in any of these circumstances, whether as a raft guide or a therapist, uh, practitioner. And I'm going to totally tangent us because I really want to talk to you about the power dynamics related to intuitive 
experiences <laughs> because we talk about it all the time. And I know a lot of folks who listen either see an intuitive, have their own intuitive experiences, are curious about that. And um, I am a really big advocate in the trauma world for those of us who are in a power role as a practitioner to not be giving our clients downloads all the time, even if we're psychic and highly empathic and intuitive. Um, It actually makes me really angry. I feel pissed all the time hearing about the things that um, clients come to me that they have been told practitioners have told them. Mm -hmm. And I just want to rant together a little bit and talk about (laughs) why, (laughs) what comes up for you as I tangent us over here to this topic on power. Oh, I love it. It, it makes me, um, first think about just the power dynamic within the therapeutic relationship or with, you know, we've been talking about the guide client relationship and they're different, but, um, we rely on certain differences to provide the experience with the components that it needs for transformation. You know, I need to believe that my practitioner can help me. Um, there's a certain difference in um, power there. I know this is none of this is new, um, but there are components of power that can be very transformative, and then they can be co-opted by practitioners or guides, um, where it becomes not empowerment, but power over and not a walking down the path together. But um, uh, I'm searching for the right words, but something that that feeds our own holes uh, because we we need to feel like we're the ones that know or we're the ones that are the experts. Um, and in the therapeutic realm, yeah, the psychic stuff is very tricky. I, um, I'll just share a bit of my background. When I started as a rolfer, I felt like I could sense a lot of energy. I felt like um, there was so much. I was all of a sudden, I'm a 24-year-old new practitioner, and I'm in a, in a room with an adult, and they've got so much life history, and it's all coming at me. Um, way too fast. And I didn't know how to sort that out. And so what I sought, and I was lucky to be living in Boulder at the time, I sought out um, the Psychic Horizon Center and um, went uh, to Psychic Horizon Center for a couple years and was trained um, in psychic work, which really means you're trained in having boundaries Mm. um, (laughs) with your psychic abilities and you are you learn that um that you really don't talk about that stuff unless there's consent um and that you have gone through your own meditative process that you've moved into a neutral space oftentimes if you are doing any sort of psychic reading you're reading in a group so you're with other people who know how to do the same kinds of meditations that know how to bring themselves into a more neutral space 
and also have a language for it that um, doesn't future tell um, and doesn't, um, yeah, doesn't future tell, which is oftentimes is what people want from psychics. Mm -hmm. um, so what I learned was a lot of how to separate that stuff, have good boundaries with my clients, and rarely use those tools except to set a neutral space, create um, a higher level of safety. Talk a little bit of more about what that means and what is a neutral space? <clears throat> well, I'll just um, use a very simple example um, that we probably all experience. And I'd imagine talk therapists experience it a lot um, as well. And that's um, being able to weed out what's going on in our lives versus what's going on in the room with the client. Um, and always that question of, is this coming up because I want to talk about this or is it because I have some therapeutic intent with what I'm sharing? And is it, it goes back to, um, the Sufi gates, which I've always loved, uh, the, is it truthful? Is it, I don't remember all of them, but. Um, is, it the, is it kind? Thanks. Is it timely? And the, yes. And then the one that I was going to say was, is it necessary? Mm -hmm. And often the, the, what I get is it's not necessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. And being there, being present with another human being, even if we are getting hits or downloads or whatever is not usually necessary. Because a lot of that just falls away anyway. Yeah. By going I, back. I find it when I hold it, whatever it is, I, I don't see images or anything, but I have, it's all feeling for me. Just mm -hmm. lots of feeling. And I, I would maybe want to say something, but if I hold it often, I, they'll say something about five minutes later. Yes. And I'm like, that feels so much better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can feel validated in your own knowingness, mm -hmm. but you didn't have to cross that boundary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's really important for us to understand that when we have these intuitive experiences, most of us are very intuitive actually, and we haven't honed the tools and don't understand those boundaries and the why behind the boundaries. But that it can, the, the reason I get so angry is because it can be a bit of a power trip or it can feel like a power trip where we might, I, I used to live in Bali. So I'd hear these all day <laughs> long, like, oh, I'm getting a download, you know, and, and what it really was, was a projection. Mm -hmm. It was, they were thinking about something, but wanted more power behind it. And so it, then it would be like, well, if they're getting an intuitive download, then what my feelings are about it are just probably not true because they're more connected than I am or something. They have mm. more access to more information. And so I think people can be really well-intentioned, but not actually be so discerning about what is actually a thought, feeling, a projection versus a true 
intuitive experience and then have consent around it. And the why, why am I sharing this? Is it actually mm. necessary or helpful? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Those holes you were talking about, like the ego, mm -hmm. <laughs> it can feel so good to feel helpful, to feel smart, to feel tapped into something bigger. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not about us needing to feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that goes back to regulation and our own work as practitioners, um, finding those peaceful places in ourselves and being able to inhabit them more. Nothing helped my rolfing practice more than um, meditation early on and then trauma work. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but being able to slow down, being able to um, go back to noticing when there's a hole that I'm trying to fill. Yeah. And have that discernment. Mm -hmm. You're right. Yeah. You're... I've been seeing some memes going around lately around, are you an empath or are you just dysregulated? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But I'm like, I would say it's probably more often the second and I connect being empathic to intuitive in myself a lot. Mm -hmm. And I find I have a lot of clients who've come to me over the years who call themselves psychic and are inundated, inundated with tons and tons of information and don't know how to discern what's true, what's not, because they have mm -hmm. a lot of dysregulation from the trauma they've experienced. And they live in a lot of fear around kind of the messages they're receiving. And the more re regulated they get, the more they can discern, oh, that's actually just, that's a trauma response. That's a part that is being hypervigilant, trying to protect me. And here's the part that's intuitive that actually has some wisdom mm. to it. But mm. it's so helpful to get regulated enough to be able to, to know what we're choosing to listen to and follow. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't exactly know where to take that because there are so many places to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I know we don't have a ton of time left, but the part about boundaries still stands out to me about mm. whether we're experiencing our own psychic experience about ourselves or our clients mm -hmm. when you are practicing those psychic skills like how do you create these boundaries what are these mm. boundaries could you speak mm. a little bit to that i mean that's that's such a good question um and you know there's there's the relative and then there's the unconditional and in relative experience, there are boundaries. And in the unconditional, there are no boundaries between us. Um, and so in the relative world, we need boundaries so that we're not uh, transgressing over those uh, and into, into a power dynamic that's not therapeutic. And um, But if we're just talking about the way that I was trained in the psychic world, um, 
boundaries are about understanding that we do get information, but it's often we've, we've got to be um, a little leery of it. It's coming from everywhere. And the way that visions are talked about is clairvoyance when it's feelings, it's clairsentience. Um, but unless we're very well resourced and regulated, we can't really trust all of that. Um, and that's why I think in, in Buddhist practice, you know, it's like, just ignore all that stuff and go back to your breath. Um, <laughs> cause it's not really giving you great information in the, in the psychic, um, world where um, you're in a psychic school, you're working with people that have worked on boundaries. Um, it's about tuning in with your own body. It's about tuning in with your own energy. It's about doing a lot of meditation um, to tone down your survival instincts, to tone down your emotional reactions, the places where you wind up being triggered. Um, to understand where you're feeling the need to express power um, and move into a more heart-centered and also um, vision-centered place because you can have better boundaries with, with seeing um, and with that heart-centered feeling, not the lower survival feelings um, because we try and tone those down a little bit in, in psychic work so that we're not overwhelmed by our own needs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. if. Yeah. <laughs> totally. It honestly sounds a lot like, you know, when I'm supervising practitioners, like this is how we sit with our clients and in an embodied way, period. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah and in, in psychic work, it's going to be talked about as the first chakra being, survival energy, the second being emotions and sexuality, the third being power-based, and then the fourth being your heart space. And so I know that some people maybe on your podcast have, have been to Gil Headley's uh, nerve workshop, but it's very interesting to see the dissections with all of the plexis behind what people have experienced as power centers or chakras or whatever, and have the amazing work that he he's done in other um uh dissection in other dissections as well um to see that we have these these very focused power areas in our body and really we're just like walking sentience hmm. that's cool i didn't know that about his workshop that you could actually see that yeah so if you're if you're having a an experience down low around your sacrum, uh, then you're probably experiencing a lot of uh, sacral plexus um, activation. Yeah. So much information. When we are embodied, we have such access. It's pretty yes. cool. Yeah. Well, we could talk about a million things, but let's leave it there. I wonder if there's anything, if people come looking for you, how they might find you, what they might find. Are you working online with folks? Are you seeing people in Flagstaff? All of that. Thank you for 
asking, um, and this has been such a treat, um, uh, just to get to talk with you and go through these topics. Um, my website is uh, rolfingflagstaff.com. Uh, and there you can find me or Gibney Simeon, who does very similar type of work. Um, and I don't have a website up uh, for trauma work specifically yet, but I'm doing it more word of mouth here in, in Flagstaff. Um, and um, I will be transitioning to doing some online work in the near future. So if folks want um, to do that kind of work with me, they can feel free and we can move in that direction. Um, and then if you want to go on a river trip, canyonexplorations.com uh, is a great place to find me. Yeah, so many options. All of the above. <laughs> great. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for spending your time with me today. I look forward to more conversations, hopefully in the future. And it sounds like the snow is on its way. So yeah. I hope you get to go enjoy it. Thanks, Shelby. I appreciate you so much and for creating this space and for providing this information for everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I have really special news to share. I've planned a deeply nourishing and luxurious retreat for us in Panama in May of next year. It's called Soulful, a somatic embodiment retreat for healing and wellness providers. If you're here listening, it's for you. I created this retreat out of my own burnout, wanting everyone to get the opportunity to return to their own deepest heart with nervous system regulation work, surfing, gentle yoga, and so much more. Come realign with your soul's compass. Expand your capacity to meet life with more ease and sink into really sweet support. Spots are already filling up. Find the link in the show notes or at shelby-lee.com.